Hello to Black listeners. My name is Amon Woman, and I'm here with a very special bonus episode for you in which I speak to the great composer Daniel Pemberton about his work on Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. If you are a regular listener to the pod, then you know how much I love the film. And more than that, you know how much I love film scores in general, and in particular, this film score. Uh, We are in June 2023 right now. It is my favorite film score of the year so far. Daniel Pemberton always pushes the boundaries, always brings it, was always so innovative in his work. And he's really pulled out a lot of the stops here for Across the Spider-Verse. We have a 30-minute deep dive into some of the details of that score. Uh, We pick out some tracks. We talk about All Stations Stop Spider-Man. We talk about The Anomaly, uh, which is the track that plays in a very late part in the film, which brings me to the spoiler warning uh, that awaits you. For the first 25 minutes or so, we're talking about pretty much non-spoiler stuff, but we do get into what happens in the final 10 minutes of Across the Spider-Verse. So if you have not watched the film, uh, do not venture there because it's a really great twist and I would hate for this interview to spoil it for you. Uh, but enough for me. It's time for my chat with the great Daniel Pemberton. Please enjoy. Welcome to the Faith Black Podcast, Mr. Daniel Pemberton. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm all right. I'm all right. Like I said, a bit hungover from sort of going out last night to watch it with all my mates. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> yeah, I felt sharper. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Uh, congratulations on this incredible score. Uh, I've been listening to it ad nauseum, and we will get into it momentarily. But first, I have a bone to pick with you, sir. Uh, I'm going to rewind yeah. to Into the Spider-Verse, that amazing What's Up Danger track that merges the track with your score. That is not yeah. a track on the official soundtrack. Explain yourself. I know. <laughs> okay, well, look, I, I very much wanted that to happen, and I was just told no, I was just told no by Sony, and I was never really given what? a proper. I was never given a proper reason, and I was just told to stop asking about it. So I don't know why. I don't know why that's ever come out. It has. It annoys me as well. I want it to come out, like. Uh, but you know, it's like it's kind of interesting. You've got a piece of music that people really, really want, and they can't have it. So. <laughs> I, I I would like it to come out. It's like it's out of my hands. It's kind of a weird. I don't, I I think it's one of those things. It's a bit of effort for people, and mm. they don't want to make it uh. happen. So. So, so, so 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 it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I will be making yeah. calls. It has to just put this as a bonus chat. People go nuts for it. I know I would. Um, <laughs> but this score has plenty of amazing tracks. Um, and I've sort of written a few of them down here. If we have time, we want to get into some of them. But I know that you've spoken a lot in recent days about connecting the themes with one another. And I want to ask, what's your starting point for that? Is it the melody? Is it the character? Is it the scene itself? Um, and how useful was it this time around to have Miles' theme as, I guess, a basis for what all the other themes had to be able to connect to? Yeah, I definitely think coming into the second one, it helped, like, you know, once you've done the first film, you've kind of, like, established the groundwork and you've got something to play with. Mm-hmm. And and that's, 
that's really nice. You've got like sort of a toolkit of, and you can kind of build on top of that. I think there's no real one answer. There's some things where I often try and come up with the sounds first for the worlds. And then the themes kind of come out of what the sounds can do because you're kind of, I'm trying to sort of build a sort of orchestra. That's not, you know, a conventional orchestra. It's an orchestra of sounds mm -hmm. and like an orchestra, you know, in an orchestra, every instrument has its strengths and its weaknesses. You know, brass is great for big, you know, powerful moments, but it's, you know, it's not so great for very fast moving uh, lines in the low registers. Um, and so you wouldn't write that way with, you know, like a tuba or something. Um, and so the same with this, you know, you like you, you have a sound like Miguel's sound and you're like, OK, that does this thing very well but it doesn't do this thing very well. So, so you kind of, you sort of, in the same way you, you are when you're writing certain instruments, you, you get, you try and find what's the, the, the best thing you can get out of that, that sound and, and you work within those parameters. And then, you know, the idea is we build up this sort of more unique, like I call it an orchestra, you know, of, of stuff, you know, that there'll be like synth sounds, there might be some real orchestra, there might be like sort of crazy time stretch drums, other other weird effects scratching and you just try and build the score out of everything you've got um and it's it's cool it's like it's a it's a really big challenge and as you go through you start to learn what things can do like from the first film you know going into the first film with the record scratching that was such a huge learning curve but mm -hmm. by the time we got the second film i'm like okay i know what the scratching is really good at i know what's not good at mm -hmm. and so it meant we could we could sort of attack that side of it like a lot easier, mm -hmm. but a lot of it is just so much research and, and sort of research and development, trying things out, binning them until you, and, and just keep going until you find the thing that's like, that's it. And sometimes you nail it like 2099's thing I nailed pretty quick, but Gwen's took quite a long time, weirdly. Mm, that's interesting. I guess I'm intrigued with that. Like at what point, does the how does this theme connect to this theme enter your mind how how much is that at the forefront of your thinking as you're creating the sounds um well you're kind of like i'm very conscious of of the sort of harmonic language which which you're not really going to think about but it's like the actual chords underlying it are not that complicated in spite of this uh partly because you want everything to, to connect. Mm -hmm. And so you sort of end up writing, you know, if every score I do often has a sort of sonic language and a harmonic language. And, you know, you could look at like, I did a film called See How They Run. And that whole score was kind of pretty much octatonic scales, uh, which are a, a very particular type of scale. But I wouldn't use that scale in Spider-Verse because it doesn't really fit with the world I've created. Mm -hmm. And so you sort of, it's sort of like the musical equivalent of using a certain palette of colours. And you're like, I'm only going to use reds, yellows and greens. But obviously in Spider-Verse, we're using kind of everything. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a lot of like juggling in your head of, of how these things are going to work and trying things out. You know, there's like, a, there's like the, uh, what's it called? The sort of ca uh, canon event chords. Mm. And it was important they worked with the miles or the destiny. I call it the destiny theme. Ba, ba, ba. Mm. Um, and also that theme is very good.
good at fitting with things, which is, to be honest, it's, it's me being lucky because it's like an octave. So octaves can fit on stuff quite easily. It's when you have like uh, sort of like odd notes that, that can clash. Um, and, you know, the Spider-Man Spider -Man theme is really, really simple. So it's trying to make these things that are like start off very simple. Because like the best themes, I think, often are, I mean, not always, but when you get something that's really simple, it, it's really adaptable. And then you can adapt it in so many different ways throughout the score. And I, I like it when you have a, a, like a continuity and something where you can really connect with the story and the characters through the music. Yeah, yeah, no, I absolutely think he had that with this. Um, the merging of the score and the soundtrack, which I've also been listening to a lot in recent days, feels so seamless here. And I know how you were involved early in the process and you like to be in the uh, sort of edit rooms as they figure out the sound mixes and everything else. When you're working with Metro and the directors, how are you earmarking, okay, that's a soundtrack part, this is a score part. How are you figuring that out with, with your team? Uh, I mean, we'd kind of, it, it, some things would be very natural. There was definitely a desire to have quite a lot of songs in the film, but the, the songs, you know, I think when, like with the first film, we're in Miles' world and the songs make sense because it's like Miles is, it's like getting into how, what Miles listens to. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that's tricky with this is when we get to like 2099's world and you, you have these cues that are very complicated, like what they have to achieve, mm -hmm. they don't work so well for songs. And I'm pretty sure they'd want to put songs in there if they could. Because <laughs> uh, the yeah. songs, you know, if you're a composer, songs always steal the most valuable bits of real estate in a movie. Yep. Where you're like, and I think one of the reasons people are connecting with this film is because we've got bits of score in there, it actually means I get to complete the storytelling mm -hmm. that I've been doing all the way through. Because often what can happen is like, you know, you've you've built this whole structure to have a big payoff and then they go, oh yeah, we're putting a song in here. And I've had that on a bunch of movies where mm -hmm. you're like, you've developed this finely crafted construction and they're like, we need to put songs in because we need to sell an album. Yeah. But but with this, there's loads of back and forth. Um, you know, there's lots of scenes where, you know, Metro was doing something. Sometimes I, I'd be doing something and then we worked out when you watched it on the run that, you know, maybe the song worked better or maybe the score worked better. Um, and yeah, I mean, we were all like, Metro was working like crazy. I was working like crazy. Cause also they just like, let's try something else. Let's try something else. There's a lot of so much, like if you watch this movie and you think, God, that must've been a lot of work to yeah. do that. Okay. Imagine that much work times like five or six. Cause I'll have done five <laughs> or six different ideas often for, every scene mm. um uh, <laughs> it all release it all i say there, um, there is actually some quite good like cuts that never came out so uh I'm you know saying. maybe they will one day <laughs> what you're saying there though is so right about the soundtrack and so that sometimes not, not messing up but intruding on what the score could do I actually just said this about guardians of the galaxy volume three which is a film that i really really enjoyed i'm not sure if you've seen it um, but there's one particular scene that is soundtracked by a Beastie Boys track called No Sleep Till Brooklyn. And yeah. it's a great track and it's a great scene, but it's like the big, big action climax to a degree. I'm like, what if there was a score there instead? Because Brian, uh, what's his name? Tyler Bates. John is, Murphy. Yeah, John Murphy did yeah. that score, but Tyler Bates did the yeah. original Guardian score and, and that comes back. Yeah. It's a really great theme, but 
when you use the soundtrack instead of the score at that moment, you can't fully appreciate it. That's why Black Tears and the first Guardians are so good because they actually use the theme in all this glory in the big scene where the Guardians become the Guardians. It's like, yes, do more of that. Um, so I completely get yeah. saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is really hard because I've had it, you know, like even like I did a, I did Birds of Prey and, you know, there was a lot of pressure for them to put in as many songs as they could. And I was just like, well, look, I'll score these scenes anyway. And, it, you know, and, you know, I'm not saying what I did was better, but maybe it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but, you know, there's like a commercial imperative and it is... Mm. It is frustrating sometimes. Um, and the thing I like about Spidey is, you know, there is an understanding of like, okay, we've got to make this film like really, really work, really, really connect. Mm. Um, and I, I think it's such a big thing where if, 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 you under, if you can understand the power of music and the power of completion and what that gives to an audience, you know, I would definitely like to... There even be I would like to get even more connection between the songs because me and Metro were kind of working in our two little like camps, which I was cool because I had so much to deal with. But I would love it if we could start pushing more of the noises into some of those, and because it's when it's, that's when you create something that is really really unique. And you know, I'm trying to create every film I do. I'm trying to create scores that only can exist in that universe. Mm -hmm. So you know, like each of my scores hopefully sounds quite different and feels quite different. You know, you're not going to hear a Spider-Verse cue and go, oh, was that from Steve Jobs or King Arthur or, <laughs> or Amsterdam? Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, you mentioned the Gwen Stacy theme there. I absolutely love it. Um, and the, the use of the drums especially is great, not only for her theme, but for the story and the character itself. Like when I watched the film, there's that big scene at the Guggenheim and before she sort of leaps from the balcony or whatever to do her big save, there's like visuals of her also almost like getting on beat with the drums before she. Yeah, yeah. Action. That was really, really cool. Did you talk to the directors about incorporating that more into her? Well, yeah, I mean, I would love to pretend that I that was all like my fantastic genius idea, but it wasn't. That was actually, I think, was all Phil's idea. So Phil Lord, who's one of the writers and producers and is very involved with the, the project. Mm. And Phil was like, we've got to get this here. Like, let's try this out. And, you know, it's really cool. It's, it's kind of a head fuck because it's like they're animating. I've got to kind of work the animation, but then they're going to work to my drums, but then they recut and they recut. And it's like, it's kind of mad that it all came together and worked so well. Because um, also you're trying to score this whole sequence. And when you're scoring those kind of sequences, like, like if you write music that is like groove based, it is hard to change tempos without sounding stupid basically whereas if you write orchestral music you can jump around tempos a lot and it doesn't feel um incongruous but it sort of does when you're writing stuff that is very rhythmic and i love writing you know if you know my stuff i love writing very rhythmic scores so you have to find clever ways to try and hit things and it's really hard especially when the scene keeps changing um you know those scenes constantly change and the version that's like in the film is shorter than the one i worked to so it's been edited down a bit but you know, we managed to make that drumming drumming section work, and it's I, there's so there's so much invention in this film, um, and as a composer, it's you're just playing off everyone else's like everyone's bringing their A game, and mm -hmm. and so you're all feeding off each other, which is one of the things I think that's great about Spider Verse is it's like a kind of celebration of creativity as much as it is about you know a great story. Yeah.
Absolutely, absolutely. And it comes through. Um, talking about, you talk about sort of scenes changing, uh, and obviously there's a creative side of that because you guys have been working on this film for a long time, I know. But also just the scenes themselves and how they play out. I imagine it's interesting for composers for composers to sort of match what's going on. One of the tracks that stood out to me, one of the many tracks, is the Go Home Machine. Um, oh, yeah. The first part of that, you got Miles' theme there, you got Spidey 2099's theme, but it feels agitated to sort of reflect the emotional state he's going through in that moment because he's he's very emotionless um, and with, 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 with the decisions that he makes there. And as that scene is shifting, is one of the things that you're paying attention to how much one theme overwhelms the other? Because Miles' theme goes to another level when he sort of succeeds in what he's trying to do. Yeah, when he pulls the mask down. I yeah. spent so long on those three seconds. What's, <laughs> what's interesting with the movie is, uh, you know, you work out when you're, you're working on it mm. and you work out, um, like, you know, you do test screenings or you watch the film through and you'll be like, that is the moment. And you'll be like this, there are certain moments in the film and like, this is the most important moment. And I know that moment really, really lands if you get it right. So I spent ages just being like, okay, I've got very little time here, but I've got to make this moment like yeah. where you really, really root for miles. And um, yeah, it was like, also the thing that's interesting about that track, that track actually speeds up. So it speeds up massively before that. And then weirdly you've got this thing, once you get to the, the sort of miles is called building, the thing that's interesting is you've had this very fast ramp tempo up before that but when it hits that the tempo is actually at the same time you've got these kind of computer dot noises this is very boring yes kind of interesting which are doing triplets <laughs> one's doing triplets and it sort of creates this weird optical illusion where you're like is this still getting faster and everything else is rising so you've got all these things just being thrown on top of the chords and so you just you kind of really agitated and you want this thing to you're just waiting for it to land. And then when it lands, I pull all that out and you just get the three, the three chords. Mm -hmm. And and so because you've had this sort of thing building and then you go, vroom, mm. it makes those chords really, really land. And it makes that moment really land. But it takes, that, that took a long time to work out mm. like how to get it really, really spot on. Yeah, yeah. You know that again. So I'm, glad you, I'm glad you like that moment. <laughs> I like that moment too. Yeah. I mean, I... Just from talking to you here, uh, I'm guessing there were there were a few of these, but I wanted to ask you about the thrill of discovery on this film. What does that look like? What does that feel like for you, even now, sort of at this point in your career? And if I were to go to be a fly, if I were going to be a fly on the wall and watch you put this score together, what would be the most memorable aha moment that you had? Okay. On. Well, well, I mean, on that, that is like my favorite bit of any film is is the bit where you you nail something and it seems so obvious in retrospect. That's where it should yeah. be. Yeah. I mean, weirdly, just about the. I'll just go back to the previous one just before that. Mm. The previous one was crazy when we did the What's Up Danger scene. That originally didn't have any score on it, and they just had the song, wow. and they were like, mm. "This scene's just not working." And I was like, "I." I'm not saying I was in a bad mood, but I was kind of like, yeah, because you're not like me. I knew this was the best bit in the film. Mm. And I was like, mm. I wanted to score that section. And they're like, we're going to put a song on. And so mm. I was like, okay, okay, fine. It's a song. I've got other shit to deal with. I've got so much to deal with on this film, mm. but, yeah. but it's not working. They should just let me do something on it. Mm. And I was with Katie, the music editor. And I was like, look, I could make this, I could make this feel really cool. So if we just played the scene. I'll just play something on top of it. So I just, 
literally had sort of big brass set up. It comes on and I, and I basically played pretty much what you hear in the film in one take. <laughs> and I just turned around. I just turned and I was playing it. I was like, hey, this feels pretty cool, actually. I was like, <laughs> and, and I turned around to her and she was just like, <laughs> and I was like, that was kind of cool. I thought that was kind of cool. And she was like, she was like, that was really cool. And she's like, you recorded that, right? And I was like, no, I was just, just trying to show you. I was just, I was just trying to show off, basically. And she's like, record it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I can still remember what I did. So did another pass and we recorded it. And that is pretty much what the, how that, that piece came about. It happened in nice. about three, three minutes. You know, it was like, wow. it was about six months of prepping to get to that point and knowing every beat of the film and everything that paid off. But it was almost like done live. And it was like, and it's a really weird thing that only me and Katie great have, you know, we both witnessed this weird, and because normally I have those moments on my own mm. and you don't have them with someone else. And so it's really funny to have one with someone else witnessing it. And it also being like a really, like really, like a really iconic moment. Yeah. And on this film, I think the bits I really loved discovering, uh, I remember doing, uh, remixing Miles's, um, I'm Miles, my name is Miles Morales on the album, which mm -hmm. is when we meet Miles. Yeah. And we want to do a remix of his theme from the first film. And I was like, I had like, I, I've got a list of like a million things I've got to do. And there's always things that oh, I'll do that one later. That's like, I don't care. Do that later. I've got to focus on this. Then that one, I was like, oh, I'll have, I'll have a little play around with this. And then I started getting that dum boom, sort of dun, 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 rhythm. And then I'm like, this is just, this is great. Um, but I got that happening. And then I remember it just being like, Fuck, guys, I got it. I've got it. This is so much fun. And they're in the edit, and it's like everyone on Spidey is so intense. It's like they've got so much to deal with. And so you don't pull them out of the edit unless you've got like a real good reason. Yeah. So I, I pulled them out, and they're like, yeah, this is cool. This is cool. Yeah. So, they, they, even, they even pulled Tom Bothman in, who's the, the chairman of Sony. Uh, and he was like, check this out. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. But he seemed. <laughs> but, but the thing about it that was good for that was suddenly I had this rhythm, bum, 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 bum. And I was like, all right, let's use that on the other action scenes because I had these other action scenes and I was scoring them and, and we'd sort of tempt them, they'd tempt them with action music from like sort of more generic superhero movies. And I remember watching them just being like, oh, this feels boring and it sounds boring. And what I'm writing is boring. And I don't really like writing action music that's like generic. Mm -hmm. And and I was like, you'd have things on your list where you'd be like, okay, this isn't working. Deal with that later. Let's deal with this. I'm in a bad mood about that one. Mm -hmm. And it's like one of these things you always go back to things and be like, we can make that better. Mm -hmm. Suddenly I was like, let's make the action scenes. Dun, 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 dun. So when we get back to the Miles and Spot fight, that's what it is. When we go to uh, India, we have that as well. And it became a really fun way of connecting them all and just making those cues like more in our world of Spider-Verse and less in kind of uh, sort of slightly generic superhero action music. Mm -hmm. So that was a really good, like once I had that, I was like, this connects these things. It makes the whole thing more fun. Uh, I mean, I, I actually wanted way more of that. The bit when we first, this first spot on Miles fight uh, when when Spot finds Alchemax back to where it all began, mm -hmm. um, 
back where it all started, I I was like, I just kept that dun 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 dun. Just I was like, I I could just listen to this for ages, and Phil was like, no, <laughs> we need to tell the story here about Alchemax and the spot. Yeah. Um, and so uh, there's a there's a longer version of lots of bum 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 bum. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That track is also, of course, where you scratch a goose. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, actually, the goose. That was that was like also one of my favorite moments because we were like, we'd already scratched all these other things on the, on the score. So we got loads. Of, I spoke to the sound team and I was like, look, give me all the sound effects for this scene. Mm-hmm. So I got the car crash, uh, the fights, the um, what else did I get? Car crash fights, um, felt tip pens, mm-hmm. spray cans. So we've done all the front section of that, but the second section, the second half of that, it didn't really have it have much in it that I could use. I felt, and we'd sort of done it all. And I was watching it. And I was just like, "Oh man, we need a goose. We need to get us a goose sound." So we got a goose sound, and we literally did it on the fly. We're like, "Let's just go." We're in the studio, and it was like, "There's actually a video of it, which I'm probably going to put up at some point." Yeah, because it do is it. it is an amazing it is an amazing video where I was just like. <laughs> Get the goose up, and we're just like we're all. It's like it's like ten thirty at night or eleven o'clock, um, and it's like one of those things where we are really cooking in a session. Like every now and again, in a session, you'd be like, "Oh fuck, this is the magic. This is like this is when crazy magic's happening." Yeah. And um, uh, so we've got this thing up, and Blakey, who's the the scratch DJ, who's who is like brilliant, and he did all the scratching on the first film. Mm. He's just scratching up we've got like a couple of different goose sounds you do things called hot buttons which is where you um so if you got me going one two three four five you could assign a button to one two then you have one to three four and then one to five so you can sort of jump very quickly into different parts of the goose sound so i'm like yeah yeah let's cut it up put some hot buttons on it boom 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 let's go so we start doing it and we're like fuck this sounds so good it's so funny it's so funny and it sounds cool and so um that was like one of my favorite bits of like mad spontaneous creativity yeah. on the film. Cause a lot of the other stuff is like, sometimes it's really labored and you think about it a lot, but that one is just like, ah, I need to make this scene better. Do that. <laughs> you know, with the duck noises in the bad guys and the goose in this, I'm beginning to think that no animal is safe with you. <laughs> I mean, I just like noises. It's like anything that's an interesting noise, yeah. you know, it's like geese, that noise is fucking cool. It cuts through like crazy. And it's funny because you'll find some noises and you're like, this is going to be cool. And you're like, oh, it's not. And, um, and I, you know, if on that scene, because I kind of like was very into, you know, like hip hop and record scratching, mm-hmm. the culture around, like just, the, the, I was into that, that, that sound world. So I used to get these albums called Battle Breaks. So Battle Breaks would be um, vinyl albums that, that uh, scratchers would, would have to scratch. And they would just have tons of sound effects on them. And they'd always have a kind of fresh, uh, and you'd have a bunch of punch sounds and car crash noises were always good. So I was like, we got a car crash, man. This is like classic hip hop. Let's use the car crash. Um, But you find some other noises just don't scratch very well. And you think they're going to be good. And you're like, nah, that's not working. Like we tried to, we tried a bunch of Indian stuff and it was just like, nah, this sounds rubbish. But then we got one sound that was like a kind of Indian drone. And I'm like, this sounds really cool. So we put that behind avatars. Yeah, yeah. I love the soundscape of his world. Uh, 
another track that I love that stood out to me, All Stations Stop Spider-Man, which feels a little bit more unique uh, compared to all the other stuff on the score in a really cool way. The way the drums and the bass collide is really great. You're switching from one speaker to another at one point, which is really, really cool. Um, and the breaths remind me a little bit of what you did with King Arthur, uh, a little bit. But in a good way. Yeah, yeah. I, but that was just, uh, that was, I think that was Phil just going, put some breath on it. I'm like, sure, why not? I don't like, it's kind of cool. It kind of keeps the, it keeps the groove going. And that one is kind of funny. That one felt more like a 90s um, yeah. dance track, which I kind of enjoyed doing because it was like, because often I'll try and do things and I'll be like, I'm going to put everything in the world on a track, which is kind of my weakness sometimes. Like I will try and put too many things on a cake, so to speak. Mm. And sometimes you just need, lemon um and with that i kind of got to have quite a lot of fun because we get we get to the orchestral stuff but there's just a lot of like breaks and things and it's like let's just treat this like a kind of old school dance record Mm. yeah no absolutely works um question how comfortable are you talking about universe 42 i can put a spoiler warning on this pod i can talk about it as long as like People, I mean, I guess if anyone can be bothered to sit through me yakking this far, <laughs> they'll have watched the movie. So if you haven't watched the movie, pause this now. Yes. Uh, and spoiler alert, big spoilers, no more. Yeah. Like, okay, if you're still here, right, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> because The Anomaly is such an interesting track. There's so much to talk about, uh, including The Whistle, um, yeah. which is really, really interesting in thinking about it more, I've realized that that's the thing that you go to when Miles is sort of entering an unfamiliar environment. He's a bit off kilter. You have that in the vision scene in the first yeah. movie and you bring that back here and it's really, really cool. And then you also have the inverted Miles theme as the camera pans to the mural of Jefferson Davis in this universe. Can you talk yeah. about sort of giving us clues before, just before it's like fully revealed that Miles is where he's at. Because I imagine that was an interesting exercise. Yeah, so that was like the whistle, the whistle for that interestingly has quite a cool origin story. Mm. Those whistles were from a, a sort of session I did in Peckham in Nunhead Cemetery. Do you know Nunhead Cemetery in Peckham? I don't, Have you no. been there? So no. Nunhead's this, beautiful old um uh sort of i think it's victorian cemetery in london and it has one of the protected views so if you want to get really boring about this is like very off kilter but it's a kind of interesting fact (laughs) about london in london we have st paul's cathedral right which is in the middle of london and there are these seven views one of which is on top of hampstead heath um and some other places one i think is in richmond park often in parks or cemeteries and you have to be able to see clearly St Paul's from that view mm. and um you can't build any building in front of the view if so if you if you've bought a bit of land in London you want to build a big skyscraper yeah normally they're like yeah yeah we don't care build as many skyscrapers ruin the city but mm. if if you're sitting on a bench this very particular bench in Nunhead Cemetery which is so <laughs> like low-key mm. then you can't as long as that skyscraper does not destroy that view and that's why the the skyscraper is called the cheese grater by uh, richard rogers great architect Mm. um uh is slanted because it it wouldn't affect the view from somewhere anyway that's the backstory of this 
very old cemetery. And in the cemetery, there was like a mausoleum. Uh, it's got a bunch of old crazy stuff in there. And there's one one mausoleum, and it's, it was all stone. And so I was sticking my head in, like, through the, the grills. And then, obviously, anytime I stick my head in a, a, a building that's got a good sound, I want to go, you know, I want to go echo, echo, or, like, I normally whistle. So I whistled it. I was like, holy crap, this is such a good sound. So mm. I got a recorder, and I just whistled a whole bunch of stuff. And we sampled it all up. And then that was the, that was where that whistling started from in, wow. in that scene of the anomaly. And I wanted the whistling to represent, yeah, a kind of uncomfortableness with, um, and you, you hear it earlier during the train chase as well, when um, 2099 is telling him you're an anomaly. Mm. And that's when we start getting the, the hint of this. So it's a way of connecting these different environments and Miles's um, lack of uh, what's the word like, like that Miles sort of doesn't belong there, mm. um, and I wanted the, the throwback with the other whistle is to just again just make the scene feel familiar but wrong and different, um, and then when we first meet Aaron in that scene it's a really long time stretched prowler sound. So there's that slow motion shot towards the door. And if you really listen to it, it's a very, very slow prowler noise. Mm. So just giving you a hint, there's all these things that are telling you stuff and you might not even know what they are. And a lot of the score is trying to do that, where it's trying to tell you about things without you necessarily knowing. You could go back and rewatch it and you might be like, oh yeah, yeah I get that now. And then obviously later it's very apparent, the prowler sound. But um, and then, yeah, and then we build up, build up to the roof and that reveal on um, uh, Miles's dad on Jefferson, you know, I've, that really had to kind of land in a big way. So it's and again, it's like I wanted to make it feel connected to the sound world you'd had before, but it'd be different and it'd be a darker version of a sort of motif that mm -hmm. that. That was not as celebratory. It was a dark kind of. This has all got a bit fucked up. Yeah. Yep. 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 It absolutely works. You likened the first movie to. You said I think the movie is a bit like a band who's played lots of small venues over the last two years, and everyone feels like yeah. they've discovered it. The second movie, you said, and this is the time it plays a big arena tour. If we're yeah. running with this analogy, then the third movie is when the band has some new stuff, but people are here for the hits. And so that's what they play. But knowing how you work a little bit, I suspect that you don't have that in mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hope not. I mean, like, I don't know what, like the third movie, we kind of have this, like no one talk about the third movie because <laughs> everyone on this movie is sh shattered. It's like doing, like doing a bunch of, it's like doing three marathons in a row and then someone go, oh, congratulations. You just, you just got the best time on a marathon ever. <laughs> and when you start in the next race, I'm like, I'm going to sit in a bath. <laughs> for like a year um, but yeah I think I think films where you really get to push the boundaries genuinely push the boundaries and are supported in doing that they don't come they don't come along enough mm -hmm. and I think I think what I love about this film is it's a, it's kind of allowed me to do what I've been trying to achieve through film music you know through my career but it's difficult to do that because, you know, I either do films where I don't have the scale or the films that do have the scale don't really want particularly challenging music. They want more of the same. Mm -hmm. So I try and avoid 
things where I, I'm just not doing that. And so you cut, I've basically been playing a long waiting game for the right film to be like, okay, here's what I can do, everyone, if you mm -hmm. let me do my shit. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think if there's any any more, then obviously I'm not going to want to just sit around and do more of the same. But it does feel like it's a tough act to follow this one. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because you, you had you know years to work on this. You only have months to work on the next one, and not trying to worry or anything. <laughs> but does that sort of shorter time constraint? Do you think that will beget more creativity because of? Like I say, no one's talking about okay, it. Okay, 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 okay. Like... <laughs> okay, okay. Not wise. I will talk to you about it later. Uh, yes. That film is closer. But uh, thank you so much for your time. As always, it's so fascinating to chat with you. And congratulations on the score again. Yeah, I'm glad you 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 know you were the first ones there, being like, I love these themes. <laughs> yeah. I was like, great, because I also like by the time this movie came out, it was just like I was like so exhausted and we were all so exhausted we're like is anyone even gonna like this like we all <laughs> we all thought it was good but it's just yeah. like it it was a heavy toll and suddenly everyone's like it's just crazy how much people are digging it i love it it's really it's really nice to see yeah. it's nice to see when you 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 try to do something and people get what you're trying to do because mm -hmm. especially doing film music most people don't really care about film scores and they don't always understand what they do or what they're doing and i think there's a whole audience that's actually like really kind of going oh yeah, yeah film scores can be kind of cool and i kind of hope that sort of also changes some of the studio's viewpoints towards scores because i think there's still a kind of like they definitely look at songs as you know everything from the way they do trailers to mm -hmm. to how they market things you know when you when you get a really good score like i don't if you remember the early star wars trailers where they used the just the john williams you're like yeah i'm in mm -hmm. and it's like when you can connect these two things together there's such power there and um and so yeah like just it, for me just paying those themes off especially at the end where you're like remember that thing you you really really connect with these characters let's fucking go and here it is in the biggest form and that's when you get like a big big boost because it's the only place it exists and the only place you hear that music is when you connect it to those people. Dan, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Congrats. Classes should be taught on the musical storytelling that you're doing here. It's really, it's really something. Thanks. Fun. So, congrats. All right. Well, so good to talk to you as always, Amon. All right. You have a good one, sir. Thank you again. All right. All right. See you later. See you soon. All right. Bye. And so that was it. My chat with the great Daniel Pemberton. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoy talking to him he is an incredible creative composer and i cannot wait to see what he does not only with beyond the spider-verse next year but with the rest of his career if you haven't realized it already that man is one to watch when it comes to composing one of the best working today uh, if you liked this interview and you want more of this type of content please do at us at beta black pod or also feel free to at me at amon woman on Twitter or Instagram. I would love to hear from you. I will be back with the magnificent crew of Hannah Flint and Clarice Lockery for our regular episode on Sunday. But until that time, it's time to fade to black. Mm -hmm.